1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On The Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and the real estate expert is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Good morning, everyone. Joining us now, again, is Barry Lebo. Barry is one of Canada's most recognized real estate professionals, and he's been around for about 50 years in the business. Barry, congratulations on your 50 years in the business, first of all. And thank wow, you for joining thank us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, so Barry, what we uh, wanted to talk to you about was there's been a lot of talk this week in the news about uh, a lot of GTA residents that are renting thinking that we need government intervention in order for them to be able to afford a house in the future. And you and I had a, a conversation offline about government intervention and how it hasn't been the right thing in the past. No, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, the if we look back to the early seventies and um, living through it, um, the Davis government, the Conservative government of Ontario at the time, capitulated to the NDP and brought in rent control. And there has not been a jurisdiction in the world, in the free world, where rent control has worked. All if we never had rent control. We would have such a surplus of apartments around the city because builders tend to overbuild. And they would have, but with restrictions, they just walked away. And of course, let me put this to you, except for the luxury market, who in their right mind would build in the last 30 years, 40 years, rental housing in the city of Toronto? It's, it's ridiculous. Now, there has been some, don't get me wrong, but they're odd they're few and they're far between. The free market wasn't allowed to look after its, itself. And, you know, we would have been saturated. Rents would have been much lower, but not with, not with rent control. And I think... And, and you're, you're, it's a, okay, rent control is a compensation. You're, 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 you're taking away... You're, you're taking away someone's free property. I build an apartment building. You have the right not to live in my building or you have the right to live in my building. But who gives you a government to walk in and tell, dictate to me, the owner, what I should be charging? The market has to dictate, not some government agency that has no vested interest. It's confiscation. It's stealing from landlords. That's and, all there is to it. And Barry, just to take a step back, what exactly are renters asking the government to do here? <laughs> they just don't want to pay these rents. I don't blame people. It's ridiculous. Rent control has caused this problem. We have a shortage of housing. Look at, let's look at the other end of it. Let's look at the people who have really fallen through the cracks. We have 200,000 people in Toronto. 200,000. It could be 180, 185, but rounding off that need immediately assisted housing. So this is enough. We have people on waiting lists. That's unbelievable because there's not enough social housing in the city. We need social housing to so house a, people who can't, who aren't fortunate enough to be able to to, to pay for uh, decent rent. 
there's a big difference between affordability of housing and affordable housing, and I think that's where people get confused. And, and also, okay. uh, affordable the- housing basically means geared to income. I sit on the board of three nonprofit housing projects, and on that board, we have people paying as low as two, three hundred dollars a month rent. The government pays the difference, so we're still getting a. Uh, not a great rent. We get a decent rent with the government subsidy. And it, that's how nonprofit works. Charities come along or associations and they get government grants and they build nonprofit. And it's a, it's a wonderful concept, except for one little problem. For us to go out today to build more nonprofit housing in the city of Toronto or not for profit housing. Would anyone explain to me, because I can't figure it out, how we're supposed to buy land when we can't compete with high-rise developers? And, and, and condos, I mean. We're, we have to pay the same price for land as anybody else. Now, yeah. we'll get subsidies to build the building, but the, we really need subsidies to acquire the land. And that's where the big kicker is. That's why you, don't, you still have 200,000 people sitting um, waiting for this housing. And now you've got, um, there's anger issues. I mean, there's been, um, you can argue, but legal, illegal, whatever, immigrants coming in that have jumped the queue. We have, we have Canadians that have been here generations that don't have decent housing. And people are jumping the queue to get ahead of them. So there's, there's a lot of anger out there. And also, but, Barry, right? the, uh, the main issue seems to be supply and demand. When you're looking at affordability and you're you're looking at you know what we need in terms of if there was any sort of government intervention that would help us it would be them intervening to maybe open up some land and and be able to allow the builders because right now you're looking at builders waiting five years and ten years for approvals whereas before it used to be three months or four months so if there's any sort of government intervention it wouldn't necessarily be in terms of trying to stifle the 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 demand, which is what happened, you know, over the last year and a half or so, uh, they they throttle demand instead of addressing supply. And, and I think you're right on line by saying we we need more, not only affordable housing, but in order to address the affordability situation, we're going to need more supply. We look at everybody talks about this stupid, stupid concept of Toronto being a first class world city, world city, we're a world class city. We're, we're, when you look at the levels of, in the world, I mean, try live in London, England, or Zurich, or um, even New York. I mean, it's not a place for people without a lot of money. And yet, you can't have an infrastructure where everybody is wealthy. You People aren't. And, and we have to look after certain people. And there's no question. That's a society's role. But when society is thwarted, when we can't get... We're, we're ready. The government through the federal government, I think, I'm going to be wrong here. I'm just going to throw a figure out. I think there's a $400 million allocation for social housing in the city of Toronto. But that's the build. We still need to buy the land. There's, that's a real problem. And what's happening out there? I have there, other solutions. I have other solutions. What's, what's um, happening out there, Barry, right now also is that there's a misconception, not only from the government's perspective, but I think that's been communicated to a lot of the renters that are are posing this, this challenge to the government to step in. And I think the misconceptions or, or you know, not having the proper education to be able to address this situation is what's causing all of the problems because – 
everything that's being done almost seems to be a smokescreen, is it not? To a degree, but let me put this to you. We have to look at how much of a percentage of someone's income they're paying for rent. I mean, it is not everybody's, um, you, it, not everybody is meant to live in Toronto. It's an expensive city. But again, not everybody should be forced to move up to Elliott Lake either. So there, there's got to be an answer in between. It is a tough, we can't run this city unless people are, there are minimum wage workers, and we can't run a city without them. Somebody has to serve, somebody has to work at and be clerk, retail or whatever, which not, retail's never paid well. They have to live. These people are entitled to live. But the government is, by putting in rent control, screwed up the whole system. And they a lot of people... Really, it's, it's no different than, you know, they put in the green belt. I'm not against the green belt. I actually think ecologically and, and it's sort of a tree hugger in me, I agree. But on the other hand, it's, it's tightened a belt around Toronto. You can't go south, you're in the lake. And East and west? <laughs> a lot of these people, are, 42% of them, are blaming foreign investors. And, and we've seen with all the research that we've done and, and the Toronto Real Estate Board has done, it only accounts for 3 to 5% of purchases. Yeah, I don't believe that. I really, I, I, I am 100% right. um, a believer in foreign investment has been a huge factor. The numbers are absolutely astounding if they use reality check. Um, the fact is that if you look at Hong Kong, um, and mainland China as investors, yeah, it's only maybe one or two or three percent. But what they're forgetting is their their nephew is living here, or their kids, or whatever, who are landed immigrants or Canadians, uh, and the money's still coming from the. It's where the source of the money is, not who's the people that are the actual end up users of it. It's the source of the money. There's no question. Toronto has become a jet set commuting community for many of the different parts of the world, especially China. That's an I'm interesting. sorry, I don't agree. With, they just, they just uh, you know, you can take stats and you can do what you want with stats. And I don't care about that 3%. It's ludicrous. We know what's happening. Most of the people who are come have dual citizenship and they're buying. So they're, they're labeled as Canadians, but they're, they're not here. And as, Do you know how many, quote, Canadians live in Hong Kong? So, but they're Canadians. They don't count. That's true. That's true. You know what? That's a very interesting perspective that I haven't heard before. Now, in terms of just uh, to wrap this up into a nutshell, what would be your solution if you could, if you had a solution and you could explain it in two sentences, what would you recommend to the government to do at this point if they were to step in? I think that you can't repeal gravity overnight. Rent control has to be lifted, but slowly. There has to be a phase-out of rent control. There has to be an incentive for um, uh, landlords, uh, not develop landlords, but developers to build more high-rise, and there has to be quicker on the development process. Toronto's really built up. Um, we need to see more infrastructure as far as it's ridiculous to drive down a Dundas Street or, or any of the main I want to ask you, do you think Toronto's an attractive city for a visitor? When you drive up and down the main streets of Toronto, with the exception of a University Avenue, if you went up Young Street, you sure wouldn't think it's attractive. Go up Bathurst Street, go up Dufferin Street. We've got ugly streets. 
it's time to start putting in proper infrastructure. These old two-story stores are archaic. We've got to go above them. We've got to be Paris and Stockholm and other cities. We've got to go up six, seven stories. Not high, right? But every time somebody wants to go to do anything, right away the same counselors run out, not in my backyard, the same rate payers. You're going to put a shadow across my tomato patch in my backyard of my house three blocks over. It's got to stop. Barry, that's, that's some great information, and, and I see a future in politics for you after uh, real estate. So thank you <laughs> oh, very never, much. <laughs> never going to happen. Not with my mouth. Thank you very Take much. Take care. For... Pleasure always being with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Thank you. When we come back, we check lending rates with our expert from the Mortgage Center. And still ahead, this week's hot listing. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Asif, let's start. Here we are, September 1st, with a quick update on what August was like. Thanks, Tina, and good morning. And uh, August was a phenomenal month for York Region. You know, last year in August... York Region sold 964 homes, and what we were projecting this year was about a 14% increase. We we had uh, talked a few weeks ago about August possibly hitting about 1,100 transactions in, in the real estate market, and we did that. So we're going to be up over 14% for York Region, and the incredible part about that is we have 33% more inventory for this August than we did last August. So there's a lot more on the market. And this is why you don't see prices hitting the 20% or 25% over asking like they did in the earlier parts of 2017. It's because consumers have much more of a selection. So if you look at, you know, over 5,000 houses being on the market and, and you look at us selling about 37 to 38 houses a day, we have about four months of inventory. So that's a pretty balanced market. So it's a great time for sellers and for buyers to be you know, shopping for houses or selling houses in York Region. And in terms of what exactly is being sold, are you selling um, more condos, single-family homes? What are you seeing out there? So definitely it's more high-density housing. So condos, townhouses, semi-detached, they seem to make up the majority or the bulk of the sales. But you're still starting to see detached move as well. Uh, almost every market for August was up over last year, uh, with the exception of East Gwilinbury. Uh, sorry, East Gwilinbury was up. Uh, the only exception uh, as to transactions was, uh, I would say, Georgina. And Georgina was down a little bit over last year. Every other market in New York region was up. And traditionally, what does September look like in terms of real estate? Again, because we didn't have that crazy hot spring market, this September and October will continue to be hot. They'll, you know, we're, we have a lot of pent up demand that's being pushed into the fall. So this fall will not be a traditional fall. It'll be a lot busier. So you're going to see a lot of buyers and sellers coming out and, uh, and continuing to uh, keep the market alive. 
in studio with us and, and joining us to talk about housing affordability that was in question as well is uh, one of our regulars, Lucy Galliardi from the Mortgage Center. Welcome back to the show, Lucy. Thanks again, Asif. Hi, Tina. Good morning, Lucy. Lucy, there's uh, there's about 54% of GTA residents that have indicated that housing affordability is an issue this year. And wanted to you know get a perspective from you from the financial and What's happening out there? Is it really that hard to qualify? Are are people thinking that uh, you know they can't get a mortgage right now? Where where is this misconception coming from? So you know, affordability is I think it's it's going to remain um, an issue in terms of people that um, were able to afford you know let's say an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage and now that's dropped to six. Uh, 600. But at the end of the day, is it more difficult to get a mortgage slightly? It's slightly different is what I'll say. So one of the things that I've noticed over the last number of months is people are once again, uh, you know, they're, they're realizing that there have been some restrictions and they may not necessarily fit inside that square bank box. So there are quite a number of clients that I've had to place in alternative uh, areas or alternative lenders, and people are just becoming a lot more open to that. So in terms of affordability, is it, you know, is it an issue? I, I think once a, a client or the consumer has that mindset, yes, it's going to continue to be an issue, but you educate yourself, you speak to a mortgage broker or mortgage agent, you have a look to see what you can come up with. If you have a little bit of a um, you know, perhaps you're thinking a little bit more outside the box. No, affordability is really not going to be an issue. And, you know, this whole age of instant gratification, I think that plays a huge role in people thinking that they can't afford a mortgage because they have so many other toys that they've purchased and or, or leased. And that's, I think, playing a huge role in, in terms of what people can afford for their home because they have all these other toys that they've bought, you know, impulsively yeah. or, or whatnot. But, you know, maybe you could share a little bit about what goes into qualifying for a home and, and how that affects home buying. So I agree with you 100% on that. Um, I, to be quite honest with you, I've never seen the number of, you know, 28, 30, 32 year olds driving Lexus, Mercedes, BMWs, and, and vehicles that they have, first of all, either financed or leased with very large payments. So when we're looking at, and I mean, we all love beautiful cars and, and you know, we all want to wear the designer clothes and that sort of thing, but you have to make a decision as to whether or not that is important to you or, you know, you want to have some longevity with your, your finances, if you want to call it that, or you want to invest your money as opposed to spend it. So when people are asking for, uh, you know, government intervention because of affordability, it's not really, uh, you know, what's happening in the marketplace. I mean, sure, every market is going to increase in, in terms of uh, price and affect affordability somewhat, but it has more to do with choices. Personal lifestyle choices, exactly. And if you have a client who perhaps isn't willing to compromise, I want to drive my luxury vehicle, I want to wear designer clothing, if you're not going to give me the mortgage that I need, I'll just shop around to someone else. What do you say to a client like that? I'll let them know that basically if they've, if they've gone to a reputable, uh, respectable mortgage agent or mortgage broker, they're going to give you the same answer I gave you. 
Um, it's, it's certainly their choice to shop around. But from my perspective, just because you can get a mortgage, it doesn't mean you could, you should have one. It's so almost, that, that's my, that's almost, what I tell them because I get that question all the time. <laughs> and isn't that that entitlement generation that we're talking about? Like they think they have to have a mortgage and it's up to you to get it for them, but they also want all the toys. They don't want to compromise in, in any which way. It, I agree with you 100%. So I um, get into a really quick personal story. My daughter's 23, started riding uh, horses and decided she wants to buy one. Well, she also wants to buy a house next year or a condo or what have you. She wants to buy her first property. And she says, Mom, it's only $450 a month. And I looked over at her and I said, <laughs> that $450 a month is $100,000 in mortgage. So your plan to buy a home next year, are you willing to spend a hundred thousand dollars less. And she goes, Oh, I didn't know that. She goes, No, actually I'm not. I said, then that's not the right choice for you to make. That's great. That's a great Great story. And I think uh, so many of our listeners can relate to that. Absolutely. So what about, you know, those folks that are looking for a mortgage? And, you know, we all do this, right? I'm going to go online. I'm going to say, well, this lender will give me this rate. Do I go back to my my usual lender and say, they're going to give me this and that's just posted on their website and I haven't even negotiated yet. What can you do for me? Can I have that kind of conversation? Of course you can have that conversation. You might not hear what you want to hear though. Um, The reality is, again, if you don't fit inside that square box, the lowest rate may not apply to you. The other thing is as well, if you're looking for a no frills mortgage, You know, it might very well be a a good option. Do you want to pay higher penalties? Do you want to perhaps get stuck in a mortgage that if you have to refinance, uh, you you have to basically sell your home to do? Uh, Do you want to have the prepayment options that you would have with a regular mortgage? And what I would suggest and what I do for my clients is, okay, you got this... um, 3.5% 3.5% rate, there's 3.59. Uh, what's the difference in what you're paying in interest and what are the terms of both mortgages? And really compare apples to apples because those no-frills mortgages, to be quite honest with you, are, you're not comparing apples to apples with a, you know, a product that... So sometimes what you see isn't what you get. Exactly. Well, they use, they use rate as a bait and, and what we recommend to our clients is make sure you're looking at products and and comparing products to products because even though the rate might save you $7.30 a month, you could be paying an extra $16,000 or $18,000 when you sell your property. So is it worth it? And it's not because they entice you with the, the cheaper rate because that's how they draw people in, but the product is inferior. Okay. And just to add to that really quickly, um, when a, when I place a client in a mortgage, I generally look for the portability option. And what that means is uh, you're taking the mortgage on this particular property, but you decide you want to move to another property or another city or you want to just buy a different house. In most situations with a regular mortgage, there are no penalties to do that. In a no-frills situation, you have to pay a penalty as long as you're moving, as long as you're not in that particular mortgage on that particular property with those particular terms, you have to pay penalty. Okay. Lucy, just before we wrap things up, I always ask Asif to take out the crystal ball and look ahead. What can you tell us about what's going to happen in September and uh, further along this fall? So I think September and October are going to be amazing months. Uh, we didn't have the spring Uh, hot season that we normally have. I really think we're going to have that in the fall. 
And with that being said, with regards to the financing part of it, I really do think that people are going to understand that perhaps they don't fit in that square box anymore and they will look for alternatives because homeownership really is important to people out there. And do you see a rate increase coming? I do. Okay. Lucy, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Okay. When we come back, we get to your real estate questions. And just a reminder, if you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com and click on On the Market. You're listening to 1059 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Okay, time now for our listener questions questions. Our first one comes from Randy in Thornhill. She's new to York Region and wants to know, what are the real estate trends uh, that you foresee in the next 10 years? Are there any planned infrastructure or housing development projects for the area or in the near future that could impact her buying decision? Asif, what do you think? Great question, Randy. And, you know, York Region has traditionally been uh, one of the areas that sees a lot of growth, not only in terms of construction, but also price appreciation. So you're in the right area in terms of growth. The other thing is in the next 10 years, you're going to see a lot of changes to infrastructure because as we're seeing right now, the construction of the Viva lanes and the new bus terminals at uh, Young and Highway 7, also another one planned for Cornell, you're going to see the whole Young Street corridor in Thornhill change uh, for the you know upcoming uh, implementation of the subway lines going all the way up. So there is a lot of development plan. The best thing you can do is just visit the uh, city halls for the municipality or the area that you're considering and ask them to see the plan of subdivision. And that'll tell you a lot about what's going to be happening over the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, and uh, and give you the right perspective on that. So a resident could go into a city hall and ask for the plan of subdivision, that's what you call it? Yeah, you can just go in and and sometimes some of them even have it posted on the walls. If you go into a new condo development, they'll also have it uh, in in their sales office as well. So you'll be able to see a lot of, of what's coming up, what's planned, and there's always minor changes to those plans as well. But you know, for the most part, you'll be able to see exactly what's going to be happening. All right. It sounds like Randy has some options there. Our next question comes from Tony in Schaumburg. He wants to know if there is a code of ethics for realtors and how does he go about finding one to sell his family home? There is a code of ethics and, and it's it's pretty strict. So we're governed by the Real Estate Council of Ontario and we're also governed by the rules and regulations as stipulated in REBA 2002. So uh, realtors are bound to very strict code of ethics, and uh, you can actually look that up online. And as far as finding a realtor, I would uh, interview, you know, maybe two or three realtors and, and see who you're comfortable with. Uh, we'd be open to, you know, answering any questions and, and coming out to see you as well. We have a, a team of realtors uh, at Remax Prime Properties that, uh, you know, you'd be able to interview as well and make sure that uh, you find the right person that will suit your needs. So a client would have to go through an interview process then, you're suggesting, to find that realtor that best suits um, their goals, their personality, I guess? Your goals, your personality, and also you want someone with a good track record. So you want to be able to hire someone that has, you know, done what they say they will do. 
And we've got a lot of experience at uh, REMAX Prime Properties that will be able to help you. Thank you to Randy and Tony for those great questions this week. Time now for our hot listing of the week. And joining us in studio is Heather Cooper from REMAX Prime Properties. Heather, over to you. Thanks, Tina. So often people forget that we sell commercial real estate as well, Um, anything from land to buildings to businesses. And this week we have a great business for sale. For sale is a well-established restaurant in a high-traffic area of Vaughn. It's at Jane and Highway 7. It's just steps to the new Vaughn subway station and surrounded by entertainment, offices, industrial units. This property is being sold with all the existing contents, and it's truly turnkey. You just move in and start making money. And what is the the list price? Is that what you look for in, in a property like this, or is it a rental property, Asif? This is uh, this is actually the business itself. So it's it's a diner. It's a very popular diner. It's been there for years, and now with the new Vaughn Subway being steps away, also all the condos being developed, it's a great opportunity for someone that wants to run a business. And you know sometimes you're you're looking to buy your own job, and and this would be an amazing opportunity. It's it's. Uh, all-day breakfast is really busy there on the weekends, and uh, their lunches are just packed. So, actually, it's almost lunchtime, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's always lunchtime somewhere. Absolutely. So, Heather, one more time, a few more details about this property. This property is being offered at $500,000, and it's a really great investment opportunity. Again, it's located at Jane and Highway 7. And if our listeners want more information? They can contact Asif Khan at 905-554-5522. Terrific. That's our show for this week. Remember, if you need to connect with Asif or if you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.